Hey, Boker Tov, Chag Sameach. Good Yom Ha'atzma'ut, 19th day of the Omer, and we are in Daf Samach Bet, 62. We pick up um, at the middle of Samach Alfamah's Bet. We uh, went through the whole debate of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Chanina uh, Ben Gamliel about whether you can learn from Negad and Neruvain the requirement of doubling a Tznai, and without saying the negative part of the Tznai, should we assume that the action is binding even if the condition is not met? Um, it is interesting. I just cannot resist because it's Yom Ha'atzma'ut mentioning the comment that, you know, the discussion yesterday was about uh, participating with the people and going into the land and getting a portion of the land and then the people that sort of stayed outside of the land and took their portion outside of the land. It's interesting reflecting about that as of somebody living in Chutzlar at on Yom HaTzmaot. <laughs> We've sort of chosen our own little Aver Hayard date here so we can have that discussion some other time. But anyway, um, but okay. Uh, find other ways to support from a distance. Um, anyway, the Gemara picks up in the following, in the middle of some um, okay, the so Mercer is like this. Um, it's right near where it begins quoting the Pusik where it says, Bracious Talit. I'm almost exactly in the middle, in the left hand margin between the Gemara and Rashti. Uh, so now, uh, now we're going to look at various Psukim in the Torah and see whether the Psukim feel the need to speak about to when it says, If X, then Y, if it needs to say, If not X, then not Y. So, that's what's meant by the verse. In Tetiv Se'et, that, you know, God says to Kayin, if you do good, it will be forgiven. Vim lo Tetiv, and if you do not good, do good. La Petachatat Rovet, that sin crouches by the door. By, by the door. So, so you have to say, if it's good, this, and if it, you don't do good, it'll be the opposite. Okay? Because it wouldn't be implied. So you see, you don't say, Michlalava Tashomehain. So the Gemara says, Elo Rabbi Chanina, but Lamali, why Rabbi Chanina? Did you have to say the flip side? Nope. Sagade de Chanina, no. Because I needed to say, because I would have thought, in Tetiv, if you do good, Agra, you'll be rewarded. In Lo Tetiv, but if you don't do good, Lo Agra, Velodina, you won't be rewarded, but you won't be punished. So, right? So, without saying it tonight, without repeating it, sort of like discussions we had, if you didn't say what happens if you don't go over into the land, would that, you know, what would you have gotten? What would have I assumed? So, without repeating, without doing the flip side, I would have known you wouldn't have been rewarded, but I wouldn't have known anything more than that. I wouldn't have known you would have been punished. So therefore, Kamash Malan, that's why it has to say the flip side. Now, I just stop, pause right here and just say that this is not, you know, is this, is the Gemara assuming that these are applications of a legal principle, that if you don't say a double condition, then the act is going to be binding regardless? Are we supposed to read the Psukim in the Torah that we're looking at as though God is making a condition? This, you know, promise will take effect in condition X? And, you know, and then, well, legally, what will happen if, you know, it's like a legal halachic question about the need for double condition? Or is it, it's hard to read that, obviously, in the Psukim, right? We're not dealing about something like a legal act or whatever. But what it seems like we're dealing with is a language question, right? Which is just a simple point. When people say, if X, then Y, are we entitled to infer the reverse? And we discussed how, from a technical, you know, prepositional uh, logic perspective, we're not entitled to infer the reverse, even though by a common language logic, we are. So that's why you can look at sort of psukim. You don't have to see them through this halachic lens. And that's more framed by, you know, there's two ways of articulating Rebbe Meir's position. One is, kol tznai she'enu kiptai b'nei gara b'nei ru'uvein is not a tznai, which is a very technical halachic legal position about, you know, halachic position about certain acts that are stipulated and whether the stipulation prevents the effects of the act. There's another way that Rebbe Meir's position is articulated, which is, um, 
which has nothing to do with, uh, which is not itself formulated as a halachic point, it's a linguistic point. So when somebody says yes, yes, the positive, you can't infer the negative. And if somebody says the negative, you can't infer the positive. Okay, which is a simple point about how do we parse language and how rigorous are we in the, you know, in applying a certain logic, you know, formal logic to language. And that seems to be more what the Gemara is doing here, although throughout this sugya, Tosus tries to fit this in to the more classic halachic issue of a tanah and read it through that lens. Okay, so let's see the next case. Um, okay, Kabashma. Beat him with Rabbi Meir, Hainu to Steve. It works for Rabbi Meir. That's what's meant by the verse. Azinakeme alati. Right, when, when Avram speaks to his servant and says, you know, and if you go to that land and they don't give you, you know, he makes him take a shrua that you will not take a wife from Benot Kanan and from my son. And if you go to that land and they don't give the girl to you, that's then you'll be claimed. What? Azinakeme alati. No, God, Avram is saying. Okay, what will happen if that is Avram talking? It's my oath. Okay, so um, if you do not, if you go to that land and they don't give it to you, then you'll be cleansed. Okay, so you have to sort of say, you know, you're under the ban. If not, you know, the shrua. But if you don't, then you'll be clean from it. If you, if you know, so El Why do you need to sort of say the flip? Now it's a funny question, as Tosus already asked, because the oath was you cannot take a girl from Benot Canaan, right? So you know. So what are we supposed to assume that if he? Oh, it's the repetition of it. Oh, thank you. Okay, fine. It was not. Thank you. I, I misunderstood you. But when Avram, thank you. So that's a good point. It's when the Eved repeats it. Um, you know, there. But when Avram initially says it, let's look at when Avram initially says it. Um, thank you, Michael. Um, okay, so it says. Um, you cannot take a daughter a wife you have to go to my land so nevertheless you cannot take a girl from this land you'll be cleansed from my shrua but just don't return my son there now first of all there's an interesting question what does it mean you'll be cleansed from Ashura? Does that mean that you'll be able to take a daughter from Benot Canaan? That's what Rashi says. Rashi says, Okay, yeah. You will be cleansed and you'll be free to take a daughter from Benot Canaan if you go ahead and you do, and you do that. Okay, but let's take a look at Tosfos. Okay, so Tema says, say, if X, then Y. He said, take an oath that you won't do it. Okay? He didn't say, take an oath that you know you wi- that you know that if you do X then you will be punished or something like that I don't know and he did not say oh but if you go ahead and do the following things then I then you know then my oath no longer is binding if it had not said that right I would have said that you know he made an oath and uh, he would have been bound by the oath regardless he would have been bound by the oath to bring a wife back 
Okay, certainly would have been bound by the oath not to take a, a woman mibnot kanan. Okay, so that's his question. The answer is, uh, is less satisfying than the question. Okay, but let's anyway continue in the Gemara. The Gemara sort of says, here was the oath to do this. Can I not, according to Rav Meir, have assumed that if he somehow had attempted to do it and not succeeded, he would have been free from the oath? I mean, could I not assume that? The fact that you have to spell that out means that you have to always spell out the flip side. Again, this is evidence that we're not just talking about a question of t'nai. We're talking about a question of like what you can infer from language. So he had to spell out the flip side. So the Gemara says, El Rabbi Why did you need to spell out the flip side? It's you need it. Maybe he's not free from the oath if she wants to, but the parents don't want to. And then he would have to like bring her against their will if he could succeed. If the I understand, if he could succeed in doing that, okay. And if he didn't, then he would actually have transgressed the oath. Maybe you didn't have an out. The parents' objection. Maybe Avram would not have considered a legitimate out. Kamash Malan. It says in lo nulach if they don't give to you, so that to make it clear that you're that it's a legitimate out that they didn't want it, even if she does want it. Okay, so the Gemara says. Uh, so why do I need the other part? Not if they don't want, but if she doesn't want. So the answer is already now obvious. It's true. I need it. Let's say the parents want. And if she doesn't want, it should be against her objections, which is interesting, which is probably how it's always done. And that's always why it's fascinating that in that story, the, you know, you know, Rivka gets an opportunity to voice her, to voice her objection. Okay. Okay, Kamash Milan, that Avram is saying to him that either way you are free. Okay, so without saying the flip side, I maybe could have inferred that if you attempted and didn't succeed, you'd be you'd not be bound by it. But I would not have known exactly what would have constituted not succeeding, and that's why Avram had to spell it out explicitly that either them objecting or her objecting would have been enough. Okay, but again, this was not a really case of a tnai, and that again points to the fact that we're not dealing just with proving a halachic point about tnaim. Well, also yes. in this whole process. They're just you're mixing and matching. That's when Kamel sees the, is the recounting. You look at what he says when Avram actually says. It. I know, I know. They're full, yeah, they're conflating it all as reporting the same story. Okay, Now here's a more classic tanai. Although again, whether it's a halachic tanai is a different point. Anyway, that the, the following verses make sense. If you follow my 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 laws, my edicts, you'll get all this reward. And then it says, it has to still say the flip side. And if you despise my uh, edicts then you'll get all this punishment. So you have to, just because you said the positive, you have to make it clear the reverses in case of the negative. El Rabbi Chanina ben Gamliel Lamali, why do you have to say both sides? It's strict, you need to. Sagadite Kamina, Imbuchukasaitelechu, Bracha. If you follow my mitzvahs, you'll get a Bracha. Imbuchukasaitimasu, but if you despise my mitzvahs, well, Bracha will Kuala. Okay, you won't get a Bracha, but nothing bad will happen to you. Meaning that the only point about, you know, is uh, the idea about the repetition of it is only to say you don't get what was promised in the first clause, right? You don't know that there would be the opposite would take effect. That needs to be spelled out. Okay, so yes, already implicit is if you don't do the mitzvah, you don't get the bracha. But it's not spelling out what you do, what ha- does happen if you if you reject the mitzvah and despise the mitzvahs. Okay, kamash malon, that that's why I have to spell it out, which makes a lot of sense. Okay, these things Rabbi Meir of course it makes sense. What said im tovu ushmatem if you desire and listen, you know two varitz tochelu is at the end of the pasuk something like that. Okay, then you'll eat from the good of the land. Im tima'anu but if you re- reject and you uh, 
and you and you and you rebel, then you know you'll be uh, you'll be consumed by the sword. Cherev two clue. Ella, so you have to say both sides. Ella, Rebbe Chanina Lamli. Why do you need to say both sides? You know, if you don't do what was the condition, you won't get what was promised. So same point. If you do the right thing, you'll get good. You'll get good. And if you and if you rebel and reject, I would have said, okay, you don't get what was promised. You don't get the good thing. I wouldn't have known what. I wouldn't have known that you got the bad thing. I wouldn't have known what. You know, Kamash Malon. That it's spelling out. So that's very clear. All Rebbe Chanina says if you say if you know if, if, if X then Y means if you don't have to say the flip side it's already clear if not X then not Y according to him but it doesn't tell you anything other than not getting what was promised in the first clause what was said in the first clause okay my, now that we've quoted this Pasuk we're going to have a moment of uh, a little exegesis digression my cheref to uchlu what does it mean the sword will be like consuming um, which you know um, which is a funny way right? it means the probably the full sword will consume you, but the grammar is a little funny. So Amarava Milcha Galilinasa Nama Desari Akusha. Basically, it's like it's like a, 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 a sort of a, a, like a coarse salt with uh, with um, uh, bar- hard barley bread ubatsli with onions meaning that's what you're going to eat you're going to eat you know barley bread dipped in salt with onions why? because <laughs> like you know plain whatever hard bread the melech and salt but salim and onions kashim leguf kecharavot they're as bad to the, to the body as swallowing swords so that's cheratuchu you'll eat swords you'll eat food that will like tear up your insides okay now, here's a verse that supports Rabbi Chanina ben Gamliel. If a man didn't sleep with you, and if you did not, you know, stray from your husband, then you will be cleansed. But it doesn't say, and if you and if you did stray from your husband, you will be punished. Now it does go on to say the the next passage. So it does sound like that's the reverse. But Rashi says that's a different shvua, it's a different type of a thing. Anyway, the funny thing about that is that it presumes that she did sin. Kisatis, I guess Ki could read if, but the language is funny. Language more presumes that she did sin. Anyway, so that is seen as a separate shvua, and this shvua only has the if you did it, you, you won't be punished, and does not have the flip side. So Rabbi Chanina Magamil, you don't need to say the flip side. El Rabbi Meir, it should have said and if you did stray you'll be strangled that's obviously a play on words on hinaki you'll be cleansed but it's also leading into the answer I'm going to be times from hinaki see yes it's written hinaki without a yud apparently Ratzi says that if it was written mole it would have had an extra yud between the hay and the nun and therefore it's in order to make the drusha of hinaki yes the flip side is implicit there if you didn't stray you'll be cleansed hinaki and implicit if you did stray or another way to read the pasuk you know is, and if you did stray chinaki you'll be strangled okay so the flip side is hidden in the pasuk it is in the pasuk that's why it uses the word hinaki to suggest the chinaki drasha 
Right, now that's a support for him. Why does it say it in that phrase that suggests the flip side? So, uh, I would have thought, same point as we said before, if you did not commit adultery, you'll be cleansed. But if you did sleep with another man, you won't be cleansed, and you won't be strangled. You'll transgress, but it doesn't tell us that you'll be, what the punishment will be. Again, all the condition means, all the only reason you don't have to say the flip side is means you won't get what was said in the first clause. It doesn't tell you you'll get the opposite of that. Okay? So, that if you did commit adultery, actually it'll be, you'll get this terrible punishment. Okay. Being similar to Mayor, how do you Mayor, that's what's meant by the Pasuk. He will be, uh, you know, purified with the ashes of the Paraduma on day three and day seven. And then on day seven, he'll be cleansed. He'll be pure. But if he doesn't do it on day three and day seven, he won't be cleansed. You have to say the flip side. Okay. So, you know, it's not implicit. Just because you say, if you do this, it'll be effective doesn't necessarily mean if you don't do this it won't be effective do you imagine going through your life like Rebbe Mayer <laughs> every time somebody says if this I'm like it didn't say if not that and that <laughs> okay but, right exactly exactly you know you know you know. if you do this as hand in the assignment on time you'll get a full grade well you didn't tell me if I handed it in late I wouldn't get a full grade <laughs> anyway so okay so if you do this then you'll then, then, uh, then you know you'll be cleansed you know, so, and, but if you don't then it won't be you. So he had to say both. Why do you have to say both? Obviously, if you don't do what was said, it won't work. It's strict. You need it. I would have thought Yes, it's telling you that you're supp- the mitzvah to do it on day three and day seven. Maybe there's like a lechatzchila and a bidiyevet. Lechatzchila, you should do it day three and day seven. But I might have thought maybe bidiyevet. If you did it only on one of those, it worked. Okay, so I say no. If you didn't do it both on three and on seven, then it won't work. Kamash Mulan, that if you didn't do both, it will not work. Okay, now that we're done with that, we're just going to explain the Psukim for a minute. Why does it, after it sort of says that you need to do day three and seven, why does it repeat and say it should be sprinkled on day three and day seven? I might have thought that you can't do anything like shorter period than three and three and, and seven. You can't start on day two. Or if you go to day three, then afterwards day six wouldn't be good. That would, that's what I would have thought three and seven are limiting. But, uh, uh, let's say you did it on day three and day eight. So actually you're just extending the process of purification. Okay? You're not shortening it. You're extending it. Maybe that would be good. So it has to repeat three and seven to say there can be no variations from three and seven. Not less, not more, only three and seven. Kamash Mulan. Then another postage text. Why does it have to say he shall cleanse him on day seven? Maybe you only need this degree of purification to be able to eat korbanot. Okay? Aval or Lamiktash, some of the gifts. Aval with Truma, the Chad Namisagi. By Truma, maybe only three or only seven would be good. Kamash Mulan not. That, anyway, that end discussion is dealing with the extra psukim and what it's clarifying is not Rebbe Meir and Rebbe Chanin and Anyway, from this, it's just general explication. This whole discussion 
is to, is is you know it makes it I think clear that the position of Rebbe Meir is not just a technical question in Hilchos Tanaim, but it's a basic question of language, right? Because it goes through a lot of Tzukim that don't have to do with like a formal legal act that's made that stipulated on certain things. It's like how do we interpret what you know? Can we infer the opposite when you say you know this is what you need to do X? Can we infer that if you don't do this, it won't work? The opposite is true. Okay, um, Tosos, by the way, has a uh, let's look at the Tosos Bishlema. Interesting little Tosos. He says um, around this issue, um, he says the following. Uh, okay, fine. Um, uh, who's got that? Why do you need to say the flip? Right. Many places it says this is what you do and this is what it achieves. You know, it's not an, it's, you know, so, and, and I think part of Tosu's point is also there that it's not like descriptive. It's not like explain, stated as conditional. Like, if you do X, then Y. Then you could say, well, maybe even if I don't do it, then Y. But here it's sort of stated more as descriptive. Do this and it will achieve the following. What, you know, wash in water and it will cleanse you. So that's not if, then. It's that this is what this thing does, it accomplishes. Okay? And therefore, the, obviously, if you don't do that, you don't accomplish that result. Right? This act accomplishes the following thing. Um, so isn't that why here you know, should say be true here. Why did it would need to say the reverse? How is this related? So the VH Lomer de Lo Dummy. So God says, You shall, you know, purify yourself in water. So, because it's a mitzvah, if you don't do it, you don't get the result. A little bit it sounds like you're not describing this is the effect of the act, but a little bit it describes like you're saying a condition. You see, he shall cleanse himself. If you cleanse yourself, you shall cleanse yourself. Then it would be a command. So what Tosis is doing is he's sort of dividing the world into like, I mean, I'm going to sort of say three categories. There's the classic thing that's expressed as a tonight. If X, then Y. If you do this, then this will happen. And that's where B. Mayer says, well, maybe it'll happen even if I don't do that. Right? Then there's a next case where you're, it's descriptive. This will achieve the following. You shall, you know, go to the mikvah and you'll become tahor. And then there's the third case where it's a command. You must go to the mikvah and you will become tahor. So it says that the case where it's a mitzvah, it's clear that this is, the, you, you have to do this to achieve the end result. But the middle case where it's more descriptive, you will do this and it will, do we read that as this is, achieves this result and without it the result is not achieved? Or do we read it as like a condition and therefore maybe you can have the thing even if the condition isn't met? So that he sort of sees as a middle case. But I think anyway, it's interesting to see the difference between saying if X then Y and saying this will achieve the following, right? Which is not at all the condition where you could imagine that without doing it you'll, you'll, you'll have achieved that. It says no, this act achieve, accomplishes the following thing. Alright, so that's Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Hanun ben Amrio, but tonight Ben the Gemara only discussed the issue about Tznai Kafel, but as I mentioned the other day, there's other things as well. Tznai Kodem Lamase, Hain Kodem Lulav, other types of things. Not clear how we paskin about any of this. Not clear if Rabbi Meir is limited to a world of Tznaim or applies as a general position about language. Okay, very nice, uh, rich uh, stuff. Now we move on to going back to. Uh, 
conditions, but more questions about error and deception. Okay, so let's take a look. A man marries a woman and says, you know what? Because ever I eat these, she eat Kohenis. Well, I assume that she was a daughter of a Kohen. Turns out she's not. She's a she's a Levia. Levia I thought she was a Levia and she turns out she's a Kohenis. By the way, interesting. I so, so funny the way I said it. I said daughter of a Kohen. But as I, often that is the way it's expressed in the rabbinic literature. Bat Kohen. Right? But it is interesting sometimes it actually directly describes her. Kohenet, Levia. And then, you know, it's interesting about what status sort of that affords. Anyway, I thought she was a Kohenet. Turns out she's a Levia. I thought she was a Levia. I only wanted a Levia. Now he has a Kohenet. And now I have to worry about that whole family or whatever it is. You know, which also proves that not, it's not necessarily clear one is better than the other. Some people might prefer one from the other. Okay? Or, I thought she was poor and she wasn't used to a, hand, a high standard of living. Now it turns out she's rich. I can't afford to keep, to, you know, well, you know, to, to, to keep her in the style she's accustomed to. Or, Asira, I thought she was rich and I was going to, you know, get a job with my father-in-law. Turns out she's poor. Nevertheless, none of that matters. Okay? She's married. Why? She did not deceive him. As Rashi says, he deceived himself. Nobody said otherwise. Nobody said on the condition that. It was, uh, he had thought it. It was in his mind. And therefore, it's Dvarim Shebelei, Zainam Dvarim. Something that's not articulated cannot make the marriage consent, the act cannot be conditional based on it. Now, the problem is, is that there's a big gap between saying she didn't deceive him and saying he didn't say it. Let us say, for example, right, that she didn't deceive him, but, um, but, uh, you know, um, uh, people were telling him, oh, you know that she's a Kohenet or whatever, and, you know, and he said, and it's very clear that that's what he was told, and that's the impression he was under, right, and when he was working with the Shadchan, he said, oh, what? She's a Kohenist? Great, I've been looking for a Kohenist. And the Shadchan sets them up, and the Shadchan had wrong information, but it was very clear that that was part of his, you know, das, and implication, right, you know, an assumption, and he went ahead, and he married her, and it turns out she's not. Well, she didn't deceive him, right? It's not, is it the issue of deception, or is it the issue that it was not, you know, it was, he's not entitled to make the claim because it was not at all obvious that that was part of his das. Because there'd be cases where it is part of his das, but there's not an element of deception, right? So it's very unclear about that. Yes? Or what if she did deceive him? Right. He didn't say, like, I'm marrying you on the condition that you're a Right, and what about, right, and how much central would a deception be? Like, you know, like, uh, well, he didn't say the condition anyway, but let's say she deceives him about something that the court would decide was trivial. Oh, well, she told me that she had a, you know, a, a red jaguar, and it turns out it was a blue jaguar, right? So she deceived me, right? So, you know, right, is it only because these types of things are things that normally would be a reasonable thing for somebody to care about had they articulated that, right? Or, let's say she deceived him, but, uh, and, but here's even a better case. Let's say she deceived him, but he didn't make it as a tznai, okay. right? So let's say she said, oh, I thought you said, sorry. oh, so let's say she said, I am a Kohen, uh, are you a Kohenes? Yes, I'm a Kohenes. Okay, great. And that was said a, a, a month ago when the dating process began, right? Now it's a month later, so they're getting married, or a year later, right? And, uh, and, he, and it hasn't been brought up since, or whatever, you know? Or let's even say it was brought up since, uh, you know? 
So, but but it wasn't like made said explicitly at the time of the kiddushin as a tznai, right? So those are like yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's not clear here, right? About how much is it about deception? How much is it about you know implicit dots? How much is it about something you know that's said explicit, not said explicitly? A lot of that that is left like unexplored. And obviously, this is all very relevant. Well, look, to some degree, deception you could say is a basis for voiding the kiddushin even on something relatively. We, we could speculate. I'm saying because the, the mission of the discussion of the Gemara is not clear about this, but we could speculate, right, that deception is a basis for voiding the kiddushin even on something relatively trivial, because deception on either side, right, obviously, you know, is a problem in a marriage if it starts on the basis of deception and so on. So, does deception add weight? We could also speculate that there are things that are clear to everybody, are not divine shabbalev, even if they're not formally articulated as a tnai, but are clear by context and are clear by circumstance that if he was marrying her or she was marrying him on certain assumptions, right? So we, you know, so there are cases. So, there, but but again, it, none of that is actually clear how that would, you know, how that type of stuff, you know, would play out. And obviously, as I mentioned, I think in the past that this is very relevant for issues of aguna because a case where it turns out that, that there actually, if not if not if not active deception, but deception by commission, the guy isn't saying certain things. Sometimes there's active deception. He claims that he's working in some firm and he's actually unemployed, right? I mean that happens, right? You know, um, but also there's times where things are not shared that need to be shared, right? So he doesn't actually mention that he actually finds himself attracted to other men, you know? I mean, that's, you know, is that, you know what I'm saying? So there are issues like that, you know, in other types of cases where that he actually, it turns out that he's had a history of abuse, of abuse, you know? So all these types of things where you could assume in certain cases she wouldn't have wanted to marry him had she known that, right? Is but he supposed to hear but, where he still could have, would have wanted to Anyway, it's her issue. It's his issue with him. It's his issue with her. Yeah, but I'm just saying. But it could obviously be the reverse. Anyway, the point here is that there are the issues that you know what needs to be explicit and not explicit. How much does it have to be deception? How much does it have to be a presumption of das that people would obviously have not want to get married had they known those things? Right. Those key issues are not sadly are not being fully explored. Let's continue in the Mishnah. <laughs> You're married to me, um, and it'll take effect after I convert. I'm not Jewish right now, or after you convert. Okay, after I'm freed, I'm a slave right now. Or you're freed, you're a slave right now. Um, or you have this, uh, you know, tr- troublesome little problem that you're currently married. But after your husband dies, you're married to me. Or your sister dies because I was married to your sister, and now I can't marry you. Okay. You better hope that the husband or the sister do not die under suspicious circumstances. <laughs> After your, your, your brother-in-law does chalitza to you, okay, in all those cases, and this would presume that an act of kiddushin when she requires chalitza would not take effect, because otherwise, who would care? It could take effect anyway. None of that works, because that's basically sort of being, you know, as, as we're going to see, and this is what the, the Gemara is going to ignore what I think is so critical the first half of the Mishnah and focus on this part this is Davar Bala Olam marrying a woman before either she or the man are in, a, are in a position to do Kiddushin so it's not like the physical object isn't Ba'olam but the 
but the object in the state object, whatever the person in, in the state that they need to be are not yet the right parties of that of that transaction. So it's like trying to purchase something that's low bala ola. Okay. Um, um, now, if your wife gives birth to a to a to a to a daughter, she's married to me, and the father marries off his daughter when she's in utero. Okay, she's not married because that's a real davar Although it might depend if the woman is pregnant, which is the line here, but that's taken out because that clearly is the discussion in the Gemara that got that got you know, whatever you know read back into the Mishnah. Okay, so this is basically which is what the Gemara is going to focus on. Now, by the way, there's an interesting Rashi on this because Rashi says. Um, No, it's Rashi coming up. So let's start the Gemara. The Gemara says like this: Tanan Hasam. We taught over there. Ain termin You can't take truma from stuff that's been cut off, cut down from the, cut from the ground, from stuff that's still growing, connected to the ground. Okay. The intermin truma's a truma, but the evidence doesn't work. Truma only works once the wheat has been harvested. Okay. Now, Baimenei Rav Avsi Merav Yochanan. I Rav Avsi Merav Yochanan. Omer Peres Aruga Zot Tlushim Tlushim. You truma Peres Aruga Zot Mechubarim. Let's say you're and you say the fruit of this uh, orchard will be of this you know patch will be which the fruit's been harvested will be truma on the fruit of that patch that has yet to be har- yet to be harvested and when will once they get harvested and they're harvested mahu will that will that work that's sort of doing it it'll take effect in the future when the thing is in a state where it can take effect very similar to our Mishnah. Okay, now, here's the strange Rashi, because Liche Shayit makes it sound very clear that you're saying it'll take effect then. How could it take effect now? Right? So the question is, can I do an act now on an object that's not yet in the right state that will take effect when it gets into the right state? That seems very clear, but there's a bizarre Rashi. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, V'nitzvah um, Mahu, um, four lines from the bottom, Shetei Truma Limafreya. Okay, retroactively. So that's very bizarre, and it doesn't fit with the rest of the sugya, right? It's hard enough to think that it could happen once they get harvested, but to think that retroactively, when they get harvested, it'll take effect now if they're still attached, right? That's obviously a question of a different nature. Anyway, but that was his question: Can I do the act now to take effect when the thing gets to the right state? If it's in your hand to do it, all you have to do is go and pluck them. They're your fruits, okay, then it's not like it's not yet in the right state. Then it's considered like it's potential, it's already in the right state or close enough and it takes effect. Now maybe that's why Rashi thinks it works retroactively because since I could do it and so it's, it's like ready to be done and I, I have the ability to do it, it's like they're already picked, okay? But that's sort of like, a, that's a different principle. That's like mm-hmm. if it's getting ready to be harvested, it's like but I don't think that that's what the Gemara is saying. The Gemara is saying is, it's not considered shalom because you have enough way to make it happen that it's not conceived as so much out of your control that therefore you have enough control over the reality that it, therefore you can say that it will take effect later. The same way if the woman is single and I'm single or whatever and I can say to the woman you're married me I can say it'll happen at that time if I can bring about that time. Well, even though it's you, not, haven't, you three days from now haven't yet been bala olam so to speak 
<laughs> right, exactly. It's not a problem of separating the act and the effect. The problem is, is when, the, when the necessary components of the act aren't present now. But if you have the ability of, of, of making that happen, then that's not a problem and it can take effect later, I would say. Not now, but later. By the way, just here's an interesting thing which is very relevant for this. The Rambam says, um, I think it's Rambam, Magdimish, or whatever, um, that if, let's say I say to you, Jacob, I'm going to sell you, um, you know, uh, whatever, you know, I'm going to sell you um, um, lumber, you know, at this price, and I have a supplier, okay, that actually provides me the lumber, and he's got tons of lumber available, and there's a hundred suppliers available. Can I do the sale to you before I've purchased the lumber? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's Lobala Olam. I don't have it yet. It's not mine. But is the fact that it's readily available in the open market, and I can just go and do it, that's like a type of a biyado, mean that I'm able to sell it to you. So there's a Rambam that says basically yes, and that's also very relevant in the whole world of, of stocks. Right? Of securities and selling futures and so on. How could you sell something you don't have? Well, because obviously you can have it, and it's trivial to have it if you're willing to pay the money for it, right? So anyway, so that's like a kol shebiyado. So it's enough that it is there that you can actually do it, but again, it seems from the Gemara that it will take effect later, not now. So he says, kol shebiyado, where are we? Kol shebiyado love kumukhuzer ma'isadami. Eifel, I'll ask you on this. You're married to me after I convert. Or you convert. Your sister dies. Or your your brother-in-law does chalitza. Now, all of those cases, he couldn't control. But converting, he can convert. That's in his hand. Yeah, it's a good thing he never had to deal with the Israeli rabbit. So, <laughs> so the Gemara says. Uh, so, no, that's also not piyado. A ger needs a basin of three. My time, a mishpach sees bay. It's like it says mishpat, mishpat achad ya lachem lagiozachar. So it's like any judgment. Judgment requires a basin. Kedin, it's like a, it's like din. It's like a normal court case. And therefore, since it needs three, who says that you're going to be able to convene a basin? That there now, of course, the gemara doesn't make it sound like. Like who says that they will not they will not approve approve of your level of shmirat mitzvot or that they're going to run you through the ring or whatever? The Gemara makes it just sound like yeah, who who can promise that you'll be able to get a basin together? You know, it's not totally your decision. You're dependent on other people to convene a basin, etc. Okay, but again, it's pretty uh, sad and ironic when you see when you realize like the realities nowadays. Nobody would have ever had a havamina that Gare was biyado. Anyways, the Gemara says like this. Okay, now we're going to continue to challenge this idea that biyado is not a problem. Somebody gives a, a, a master, gives a pruta to his uh, slave, his female slave, that he can free. And if he, free, and if he frees her, she becomes Jewish. You are married to me after I free you. That's biyado. Will that work? So the mother says, one minute. How could you compare them? Uh, just a little, what's a trigger warning for the next line in the Gemara? Hachi hashta. Hashta. So there, 
she was an animal. She wasn't really, uh, it wasn't like you really could marry anybody yet. She was still a slave. Okay? And then she becomes a human being, somebody with agency. So obviously, even though it was Biyado, it's completely like a Yesh Me'ayin. It's like the thing didn't exist Bichlal. Okay, uh, uh, okay, so now obviously that is deeply disturbing uh, about describing that the idea of a slave as Behemoth, especially, you wonder how the Gemara could say that, given that, that slaves are obligated in mitzvot, you know? Um, so, you know, it's so dehumanizing. So, what I would like to, uh, not so, I mean, it is dehumanizing, what I would like to say, and you could decide whether this is apologetics or not, what I would like to say is that the Gemara is just doing this as a way of expressing that it's a, like, a completely, like, like the whole identity has shifted. It's not just, an, an, you know, like um, uh, the Greeks used to define a difference between what's called essential and accidental attributes. Like the fact that this table is brown is an accidental attribute. The fact that it has a surface or four legs, that's like an essential attribute. Without that, it wouldn't be a table, right? So to what degree do you say that the thing is like completely, biyado means it's basically here, but it's not fully in the state it needs to be for the act, but I can change that state and make it fit for that act, and therefore it's like we can do the act right now, okay? But let's say it's a complete transformation, which similarly, by the way, the Gemara could have said by the Gare case, right? Like this always bothered me because Rebbe Mayer is of the position that you can be, you can do it, you can do Dava Shalobala Olam. According to Rebbe Mayer, somebody says, you're married to me after you convert, after I convert, he says that works. And I never understood that. How can you begin to do a halachic transaction if one of the parties is not Jewish, right? It's not like you have the basic essentials but there's a little bit of a problem. You don't own the object yet or the, the fruit haven't been produced yet but they're going to naturally... Like, you're fundamentally... How do you start a halachic transaction if one of the parties isn't Jewish? You know, so I, that's how I would like to read what this Gemara is saying is is that the other is not enough if the object is seen as or the other... You know, one of the essentials is seen as so completely not present. Okay? And it would be a complete transformation, you know, or, you know, type of a thing, you know, in terms of that person. So that's, anyway, how I would like to read that. Um, I'm getting no response. I'm getting sent to everybody who wants to just move on after this line. Okay? <laughs> Stop belaboring the line. Let's go on. Okay, moving on. But I do think it's an important legal point. Okay. Now, um, so let's take a look. The message is like this. Um, but you know, yes. I mean, just to think in that one point, uh, isn't there, considering that this person can become, can go through this transformation, right? It's like the, perhaps the uh, status is not necessarily talking about some aspect of this person. I mean, it's talking about one aspect, right? But another aspect. I don't know if it's like belittling them or belittling to the them. status, right? I understand. Okay, so the message is like this. Um, Okay, the Lahadam Rabbi Yoshai. That Rabbi Yoshai said, "No sin trutal ishtov." Amalah haray mukudeshet liachas shagar 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 sheikh. You are married to me after I divorce you. Okay, <laughs> so romantic. Okay, and he and he can divorce her, and it's unilateral. Ain't a mukudeshet. So the Gemara says. Would it work for Rabbi, for Rabbi Yochanan? Because since he can divorce her, so it's Biyado. So he can create that state, so let it work. And let her be married after he divorces her. So the Gemara says no. Yes, he can unilaterally divorce her. But Biyado Lekadja, can he unilaterally marry her? He can't. Now, of course, that's funny, because she's agreeing. She accepts the ring. So the only thing in the way of the second marriage is 
the divorce, which is completely under his control. Okay, yes? Where there's two sides. Whatever. Right. Oh, you mean like what the Gemara said before about the case of the gear. All of those cases, you could say, like, you know, yes, that if it's, that Biyado doesn't work if it's a two-sided, if what you're trying to effect is a two-sided transaction. Right. And it's strange. Why should that matter? The other side is agreeing right now. Yes, I, I, I really don't understand why that matters so much. Okay? And then you're right. Then obviously all your Kedushan questions would immediately be answered. There only could be an issue in something like Truma or a Get, which is a complete one-sided transaction. Okay? So, okay. So the says, fine. So now that you said that this doesn't work because the other side is not the Yado, so Team said to buy Rabbi Oshaya, let's use this to, to come to a conclusion of the question that was raised by Rabbi Oshaya. What did Rabbi Oshaya ask? A man gave two, two prutos to a woman, two rings. Okay? One he said, marry me today. But I've got some plans, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to divorce you, but then it'll be, I'll, it'll be remarried to me after I divorce you. I cannot figure out what logic might be behind this, but okay. Um, anyway, so we wanted to know if that works. Let's say it won't work because you've just said that it's considered to be not biyado because there's another side. So here too, there's another side. It should be just like the case of him trying to marry her once they're already married. So the Gemara says, you know, after they get for after they get divorced. No, Dilma, no, no. You can make a distinction. No, no, no. Here it's different. Here she's not yet married to him. So since the first, she's in a state where he can do an act of kiddushin to her. So he just wants, right, because she's single right now. So he wants to do two acts. This act to take effect now, and the other act, which I could say takes effect now, I'm going to say it's going to take effect later after you get divorced from me. Okay? All the same woman. It's the same woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same woman, same woman. So he says, marry me with this ring now, and with this ring after I divorce. It should be good to be, so the kiddushin should be chal for after I divorce this, because I'm planning on divorcing you. Okay, so... <laughs> exactly. But no, she took the ring. So there it says, here you've got the right components for an act of kiddushin. you got a man, you got a single woman, She's agreeing to take the Kesef. You could do an act of Kedushin. It could be effective right now. So then you can postpone the effect for a later time, even though what's going to intervene will be a marriage and a divorce. But nevertheless, it's possible to do a Kedushin right now. In the other case, the man says to his wife, the woman who's married to him, I am marrying you. Now, you cannot marry a woman who's already married, even to you. Okay? You can do a... What, what are the ceremonies they do? A affirmation. affirmation of vows, but you cannot do another Kedushin. Okay? While she's married to you. So the act of Kedushin is not meaningful. We want to make it meaningful by saying it's Garsha. But that's not enough to make it seen as meaningful if it's something that also requires her to agree. And so that was sort of that weird combination. But that's when it starts off in a state which the act of Kiddushin cannot be happening. Okay, now the Gemara goes on. We taught like Rabbi Yochanan that the idea of biyado makes it possible to do even though the components are not fully here. You cannot take from harvested on, on, growing, on growing produce. If you do it, it doesn't work. What would, how would that play out? These harvested fruits will be truma on these fruits that are still growing. The reverse. These growing fruits will be, har- will be truma on, on these harvested fruits. It does not work. 
Aval Amar, but if somebody said, let it take effect once they get harvested, then it and then they are harvested. It does work. Very nice. Exactly what Rabbi Yochanan said. That would make something not considered to be not Shalobala Olam. That would be like you already have the components here and it can work. And as I said, very relevant for the whole issue about buying futures, etc. Or selling, you know, selling futures. Well, not selling futures, whatever. Anyway. Yes, sir, okay. I'm a, I'm a Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov. Yeah, buying selling futures. Yes, okay, I'm a Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov. Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov even went further. I feel I'm a Peres Arugazot Shlishim Yutrumah Peres Arugazot Mechuberet. Or Peres Arugazot Mechuberet Yutrumah Peres Arugazot Shlishim. Lecheshe Yaviyu Shlish. Even if you didn't say once they're harvested. Even if all you said is once they, they're not even yet ripe. They're unripe. They're not even a third ripe and they have to be a third ripe. If you harvest your grain before it's a third ripe, you cannot take truma on it. Truma can only be taken on ripened grain and ripened grain is defined as a third ripe. There's actually ways of seeing, you know, what, what that stage, what that stage is. Okay? So this gra- grain is not only not harvested, which is, which is biyado, but it's not even yet ripened and it's not biyado to ripen it. Okay? And nevertheless, you say it'll take effect when they ripen, and it's harvested, and they ripen and were harvested, so dvarav kayamim, it works. So, uh, so you see that he's willing to say that even when it's even something that's not biyado, you can do a davar shalobala olam. Now, is that because that would be a natural thing? You know, there's degrees of lobala olam. If everything works as it's supposed to, they'll, har- they'll, they'll ripen. The fact that I say when your husband dies or your sister dies, that's a different type of a lobala olam than when the grain ripens. Okay, but nevertheless, he says that that works. So now the Gemara says like this. Um, um, I'm a rabbi. So, so that's what we're all going to qualify. He only said that by um, grain that already is like standing grain and ready to be fodder. If it's very like, you know, unripe grain, like it's like it's like it's like, like, a, like a, at a vegetable stage, you know, it's, you know, green and so on, and it's not, hasn't really like risen, then low. Then it would not be like the thing even existed at all. So that's not like how, not how likely it'll be that it'll ripen, but just sort of like the discussion in the Gemara that everybody's uncomfortable with. How much is the thing seen as being present at all? Okay, if it's just little shoots coming from the ground, you can't say it. If it's already standing grain that's not ripened, then it's more seen as being present. Amr of Yosef, a few of the Agam, no! He would say it even if it's just little shoots coming from the ground. How do you know Aga means like a type of like a leak? Like some type of a thing that's, uh, you know, like that, like a little, uh, like hanging over type of a green plant. Will you bend down your head like an Agmon? So like type of a, you know, like a plant that like leans over. Okay, so it's like a little young shoot. So that's an interesting question. When Rebbe Lezben Yaakov said it, does it have to really be like present and just, you know, or does it, even if it's almost not even existing, you know, or barely existing. Uh, now, who's it going like that which you're talking about the bright If somebody says, you're, you know, if your wife gives birth to a, a, a daughter, she'll be married, it's not good. That's only if she's not pregnant. If she's pregnant, it works. So who's that going like? So that's a type of a thing where, like, naturally she would give birth. The thing is present, you know. So Kiman, Ikaraba, Keshuhukar Ubara, 
either it's like now this Rashi says is following Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov following Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov that says that when you say when the grain ripens it works that if things continue on their natural and expected course it will come about naturally even though it's not the Yado and that's enough to consider the thing present that everybody get it there's one stage of the Yado you can make it happen there's another stage you can't make it happen but naturally it should happen right? there's another thing where there's a lot of obstacles so here Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov is saying if it naturally should happen you can go ahead with the transaction or kiddushin or whatever so therefore the woman is pregnant it'll naturally happen so according to her but does she, the pregnancy does it have to be visible so that's this debate about whether the grain has to be standing and seen as really present or whether even if it's a young shoot and it's not really even the same thing would, that, would it even work in that case so a rabba that would work according to Rabbi Elizabeth and Yaakov when the, the pre, when, when the fetus is visible is noticeable not visible noticeable because then it's like the standing grain but Rabbi Yosef even without that because according to him even if it's almost like the thing isn't even doesn't even seriously exist it still nevertheless works if it'll come about in a natural way okay and let's just read the final version of this one minute Rabbi Yosef only said it by a standing grain that is from a a, a, a field that is that is that, that, that gets what it needs from rainwater. But from grain that needs to be irrigated, low because that maybe is a little bit more tentative. It won't, you know, you're not as constant. Like it, it's not as clear that it'll the end result will come about. Okay. No, no, no. Even if it is an irrigated field, it still, you know, naturally should happen. Okay. But they both say it has to be standing grain it can't be like young shoots so now that they both at least agree there's a question about how you know tentative how, how, how confident you are that it will naturally happen but they both agree according to him that it has to be like visible it has to be like, like present in a significant way so according to that that it would work if the woman was was pregnant so Kiman who's that going like here the way we're saying it now everybody would agree that the fetus would have to be noticeable okay because here we're saying that everybody says according to Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov is that who we wrote Rebbe Lezer ben Yaakov that that it's not enough if it's a young shoot it has to be standing rain it has to be like the thing is present okay so what we have now is the following positions you can never be you can do it if it's biyado to bring the thing about you can do it that's Rabbi Yochanan you can do it even if it's not biyado but if it'll be a natural expected result which is like the case of the grain being uh, ripening or the woman giving birth, okay? And then question about what if there's some, what if it's not totally confident about that end result, right? Irrigated field, non-irrigated field. And then an even more extreme position that it will naturally come about even if the thing is not so visibly present yet, it will still work. So different degrees of how much is the thing considered to be present, you know, that we can say that it can work even though it's low bala olam. You had a question. I said I thought I mean, some of the pill pool, but like it's. I wouldn't have called that pill pool, but okay. Anyway, <laughs> no, okay. some I, of the analysis. The analysis but, right. but, but like it seems 
like it seems like what me I wonder if one of the underlying discussions going on is also like how do different people relate to these different acts and their certainty or uncertainty like how certain is it that a woman who is pregnant will give birth versus right. that, a, that a fruit that is on a tree will ripen? you know like that experiential right not just what does what the statistics show but if he sort of right, like is this something that feels like maybe the machlokin about the about about a woman who's pregnant is, is right. more about like how how it, right. do I feel how certain do I feel like right I think that that's a really good point right like and that's what I said like the expected result is whatever but does that mean at the experiential level that's what we assume is going to happen and how much does it relate to the actual facts of what are the percentages you know that it does and doesn't happen that way that is a very good question okay Okay, we'll end here. Hugs from Africa.